Okay, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to continue, and we're going to actually look at day one, but I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 first, and we're going to use 2 Peter 3 as our review for what we, what we saw last week. Last week, the verses 1 and 2 gave us a lot of insight in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And if you study your Bible, the beginning actually points you to the end. And that's what we're gonna see in 2 Peter chapter three. Why does the beginning point you to consider the end? Well, if you study your Bible the way the Bible tells you to and you compare scripture with scripture, what the word of God is doing is warning us that God absolutely and catastrophically judges sin. He absolutely deals with it. Sin must die. So look with me in 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we'll throw the chart up on the screen here, and and we're just going to walk through what we saw last week, but also with what we need to consider moving forward. You know, the earth has gone through, and it's going to go through much, okay? Um, You know, if the earth goes through phases where it is completely obliterated and then restored, uh, you have to know that creation is going to follow it. So look at the chart, look at 2 Peter chapter three and and let's just review what we actually saw last week. Knowing this first, verse three, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Okay, so are we in the last days? Well, I don't know. Have you met any scoffers walking after their own lusts? And what do the scoffers do? Look Look at what they say, verse four. In saying, where is the promise of his? Where is the promise of Christ coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay, that right there drives you. Now you have to go back to Genesis chapter one, verse one, the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So they're scoffing and they're mocking. Everything has been the same forever. Well, no, it's not. They're actually willingly ignorant, verse five says. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Okay, so 2 Peter chapter three forces you to go back to Genesis 1.1 and 1.2 and you're seeing a flood. That's what we described last week. And this is not Noah's flood, which was on the earth and not in the heavens. Here in 2 Peter chapter two, verse five, we find out it's the heavens and the earth, right? Verse five, they're willingly, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Noah's flood is actually described for you by Peter in 1 Peter chapter three and verse 20. And you find out there, not the whole thing. The whole thing doesn't perish. No, eight souls were saved along with a boat, an ark full of anything in whose breath, right? Of every kind, of every type of creation. If in their nostrils was the breath of life, then Two, pair, two or maybe seven pairs were on that boat. The world then was overflowed with water, but it didn't perish. There was a rescue. But here in verse six, what this is talking about is the whole thing was destroyed. Everything perished. In Genesis six, you see the waters cover the earth. Uh, water does cover the face of the earth in the height of that flood. But in Genesis 1 verse 2, you've got the earth and the heavens standing in the water and out of the water. This is like, think think bobber on the lake. Okay, that's what we're talking about. When we do the review next week, if there's time, we'll see when we look at day two. But we'll look at this same set of events from the prophet Isaiah's perspective. But really, let me just give you it in a nutshell. The way the Bible describes the cosmos, it describes physical creation, the cosmos as a garment. The universe, the Bible says, is shaped like a garment. And at the head of that garment, that's, there's, there's this body, this massive body of water called the deep. And the face of the deep is frozen. Okay, so at the top of creation, at the top of the universe, there is a great body of water. And scientists today, secular scientists, speculate that most of the matter, the actual matter of the universe is water. They just can't see it. Well, it's because it's at the other end of the universe, this massive body of water that the Bible describes with a frozen face, and that frozen face of the deep is before Mount Zion, the throne of God. Uh, Deists, 
you know, if they're nerds, deists today would call it Asgard. God doesn't call it that, the pagans call it that, but that's what we're talking about, okay? So outside of physical creation, outside of time space, is Mount Zion, the sides of the north, this is where the throne of God himself, this is where it resides. Okay, so you've got in the beginning of creation, Genesis 1 verse 1, you see that in the beginning God created the heaven, singular, and the earth, and heaven and earth are together. And then what we did is we compared scripture with scripture and we knew by studying our Bible that by the time we get to Genesis chapter three, verse one, we know that Lucifer has fallen, don't we? So somewhere between chapter one, verse one, and chapter three, verse one, Satan fell somewhere, where is it? Well, it doesn't say in the first three, the first two and really chapter three, verse, it doesn't say in the beginning of the Bible where Satan fell, but we did what the Bible told us to do and we studied to show ourselves approved unto God by comparing scripture with scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things and we got to work and we found out in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that Satan got full of himself. He was the fifth, uh, he was the fifth of five cherubs that, that were assigned to the throne of God. He is a light bearer. That's what the name Lucifer means. And it was his job as the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. He was to reflect the light and glory of God to the creation, to the celestial host. He was the universe's first worship leader. Everybody's worshiping God, but everybody's looking at Lucifer. And pretty soon in Isaiah 14, he gets full of himself and he says, you know what? What God has, I need to have. And we saw that this spirit of Antichrist is birthed in his heart. And what he begins to do is he begins to stand in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God. My throne will be like God's throne. All the worship doesn't belong to God. Look, some of it belongs to me. Okay, so he is as creation, standing in the place of the creator. And we we saw his heart in Isaiah 14, five I wills, where he's vaunting his will over against the will of God. I will be like the most high. And then God says, well, no, you won't. (laughs) You're gonna be brought down to hell. That's what will happen. Okay, so in Lucifer's fall, where do we put that? Well, Isaiah 45, verse 18 says, God specifically says, I didn't do it the way you see it in Genesis 1, verse 2. In Genesis 1, verse 2, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And when you compare scripture with scripture in Isaiah 45 verse 18, God said, I didn't create it without form and void. I created it, not in vain, but to be inhabited, to be filled. So automatically, that shows you something different. Something took place, something different took place. So what we talked about last week is there is a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 that will allow you to reconcile your cross-references. All your cross-references will work. I can't tell you biblically what the date was, B.C., for Genesis 1-1, but I can tell you the first day. That was about 6,000 years ago. Actually, this year, according to Bible chronology. 6,000 years ago, this year. <clears throat> you, you, you know from the evening and the morning being the first day, that's the beginning of biblical time, biblical chronology that we can count. Now, a lot of people will say, Pastor, don't ever go there. You're making room for theistic evolution. No, we will never do that. We're with Ken Ham and the Creation Institute uh, research group. We're, we're absolute six literal days of creation, but according to 2 Peter chapter three and according to Jeremiah chapter four, according to Isaiah 45, what we're talking about, as much as, as, as it's a creative week, it's a restorative week is what we're seeing. So here is the heaven and the earth together. Lucifer gets full of himself and the way the prophet Isaiah describes it is earth is plunged through the deep from the top of the universe to the bottom of the universe You say, that just sounds pretty fantastical. Well, what about speaking everything out of nothing? This is what the Bible teaches. Okay, so so heaven is his throne, earth now is his footstool. That's the place of earth in the garment of the universe. So the earth that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So at Lucifer's fall, the earth was in the water, The universe is flooded with the waters of the deep. And then darkness covers the face of the deep. So we're really talking about now the earth, which then was versus which is now, okay? The earth which is now, we're gonna see that restored in Genesis chapter one. We'll see it flooded again 
in Genesis chapter six. We'll see the waters recede and life begin to flourish again in Genesis chapter nine. In Genesis chapter 10 and 11, you're gonna see God remodel the earth. We'll talk about that. Uh, There's a lot that the earth goes through, but really the way it's described is this present world or this present earth. Now, knowing everything that God did, that's supposed to make you say, well, if God did all of that, what's he gonna do? What's coming? Because God's not done dealing with the earth. He says, everybody, the scoffers say, everything continues as it did, as it always did. Well, they're willingly ignorant. God radically, in a catastrophe way, right? He dealt with sin harshly. The earth was destroyed. Look at verse seven, but the things, right? Verse seven, but the heavens and the earth which are now, right, the restored earth, the present earth, the things which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, don't you be willingly ignorant. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It gives you a great principle for understanding Bible prophecy. Uh, the principle basically goes like this, and we'll look at it. We'll be back in Second Peter chapter three, but the way it works is God labors for six days, and on the seventh day, he rests. And there is a millennial day coming that's called a day of rest. Um, we know it's close because according to Bible chronology, God made Adam from the dust of the ground six days ago, 6,000 years ago. After 6,000 years of biblical history, six, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day, there comes a day of rest. And coincidentally, when the Lord returns, it's called the day of the Lord, the millennium, the day of rest. So that's right around the corner. What comes after that? Well, it's not good. Verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Nothing's ever gonna change. Eh, no. God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So know this, the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth will go through another rough day. At the end of the thousand year reign, humanity will rebel against the Messiah, against Christ, and there will be a complete reset. The earth and the heavens will be melted. The elements will melt with fervent heat. What happened before in Genesis chapter one, verse two, is nothing compared to what's coming. On an order of magnitude, the judgment will be greater. Now people look at that and say, well, God is very harsh. Well, no, he doesn't leave it in judgment. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Ultimately, as you study your Bible, you see it goes right back to Genesis chapter one, verse one. God, uh, God rounds third base and he makes home plate. Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord. What are we looking for? We're, we're children of the day. We'll talk about this in a, moment, in a moment. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What we're seeing now is a promise of coming judgment. So as we study the origins, as we study the genesis of this planet, It should point us to prophetic warnings. Well, what took place to destroy the earth in Genesis 1 verse 2? Satan's pride and rebellion against God. What will cause the judgment that we see in 2 Peter chapter 3? Well, it'll be mankind's rebellion and pride against God. Sin is the beginning of darkness, and that's where we finished up last week. Darkness was on the face of the deep. Sin separates all from God's light. And what we're seeing here is Lucifer, the shining one, the light bearer, becomes darkness personified. You know, without this gap, 
that God says, I mean, Genesis 1, 2, and darkness was upon the face, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. God says, I didn't create it that way. So without Lucifer's fall right there, what do you have? Well, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and then God said, yuck, let there be darkness. Why? There's no darkness in God at all. Isn't that sweet? I mean, in him is no darkness at all. So what made the darkness? Why is there darkness? Well, darkness is God's judgment over sin. And that too comes from God's capacity. Isaiah chapter 45, verse seven. God himself said, I form light and create darkness. God says, you see dark, I'm telling you what that is. I create darkness, God said. I make peace and create evil. A lot of people read Isaiah 45, verse seven. They say, aha, I knew it, God's evil. Uh, No, listen to what he's saying. I form the light and create darkness. I make evil, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse seven, he's telling you why Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 went down the way that they did. Satan rebelled against the Lord and so God calls it out. He identifies it. That's evil. Nobody understood what evil was until this moment. (laughs) Points at Satan. That's evil. This is darkness. What's he doing? He's categorizing. He's identifying. He's showing what the darkness is. And so as God begins to restore order after the judgment, what's the first thing that he does? He commands the light to appear. Now the light already existed because God is what? God is light. There's always been light. So he commands the darkness to reappear because he is light. And so now we're gonna look at day one. And what we're gonna see is the first of six creative but you could also make the case that there's six restorative days. So Genesis chapter one, verse three. This is where we finished up last week. Let's look at creation. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So let's just break it down by phrase. Okay, so the first phrase, and God said, That phrase, as we walk down through Genesis chapter one, what we're gonna find out is that phrase is used 10 times, 10 times in Genesis one, showing us 10 commandments that God gives to nature. And over and over again, God will say, and then nature will respond, and it will be. 10 times, God gives a commandment to nature, and all 10 times, those commandments are obeyed. Now, who else did God give 10 commandments to? He gave 10 commandments to man, and of course, just like nature, we obeyed them all, didn't we? No, we broke them all, right? God also gave 10 commandments to men, and we broke all of them, all are broken. So Genesis chapter one reveals the incredible fact that when God says something, so it is, it's done. What we're gonna see here is over and over again, God speaks and his word becomes reality. Well, that same thing should be happening in the life of the believer. Aren't we partakers of his divine nature? Shouldn't we respond like nature did in Genesis chapter one? When God's word speaks over our life, shouldn't that automatically, naturally become reality in the life of the believer? Hebrews chapter one verse three says it this way, that, we're, that, that Christ being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his per- person, and then look at what it says about Jesus, and upholding, all things by the word of his power. That's amazing to me. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Do you know how your atoms stay together? How your molecules stay together? Do you know how you keep living and moving and having your being? It's because God said so. That's how it works. We're upheld, we're upheld by the word of his power. Hebrews 11.3 says it this way. Through faith, we understand that the world's plural you know, a lot of people didn't know why worlds was plural, and now, you know, we, get, we can look, take a better look at the cosmos, and sure enough, we know there are countless worlds in the cosmos. So the Bible had it right all along. The worlds were framed by the word of God. You know what? Do you know what the, the worlds and the Alpha Centauri system are made of? And God said, they're framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God said it and so the cosmos 
became, it came to be. You know, you can't see my words. You can hear my words, but you can't actually see my words. But you can see Jesus' words. All of the matter of the cosmos, right, is the product of his word. Colossians chapter one, verse 17 says, it's by Christ that all things consist. All things are upheld by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. Okay, so that's amazing to me. You know, mankind has been looking for the building blocks of the universe, all the building blocks of matter for a very long time, they've been looking. And they thought they had found the building blocks of matter when they found the atom. That's why they named the atom the atom. It means moment, which is indivisible. It means we've, 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 we've got the lowest common denominator of matter, so we're gonna name an atom, moment, indivisible. Well, come to find out, you can actually divide an atom a lot. Sometimes it releases great power, doesn't it? But atoms can be greatly divided. As a matter of fact, they still haven't found the building blocks of matter, they keep going. And as they went, you know, you heard a lot 20, 20, 20, 30 years ago about string theory that was coming onto the scene because the more they examine matter, they find out it's vibrating like sound. And how is it that something that's just acting like sound, you can actually, it, you can touch it and you can feel it. You can turn it into a car and you can drive it through a wall or something. I mean, that's just like, it's substantial. How does sound turn into matter? And, and then they find out, wait, their string theory isn't sufficient. And they're finding these smaller and smaller particles. And they're getting more and more confused and they're just trying to figure out what is the cosmos actually made of? Can I just tell you that whenever they finally find the atom, the true atom, when they finally find the lowest common denominator of all matter, you know what they're gonna find? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What they're gonna find is the words of Jesus Christ saying and speaking. Everything is upheld by the word of his power. Now that's incredible to me. Did you know, have you ever stopped to think about how powerful the word of God is? His word is reality. Are we walking in his reality or are we walking in darkness? Are we walking in the light of his word or are we clueless? So here's the key. For a believer, when God gives you his word, do you engage with his word by faith so as to see the reality of his word in and over your life? When God's word speaks to you, do you keep it? When, God makes a prom- when you see a promise in God's word, do you see the reality of it in your life? What about your witness? In Acts chapter one, verse eight, God says you shall receive power. When? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, right? When you receive the Holy Ghost, you will receive power. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. That word witness is the word that's transliterated as martyr. Somebody who lays their life down for a cause. You're gonna lay your life down sharing the gospel. Starting in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Well. God gave that to all of his children. You, are, you and I are responsible to communicate the gospel to the world. Are you a part of that? Is God's word, is God's word over your life, is, are you seeing it as a reality in and through your life? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse two, the word of God commands God's people to collect so as to fund the work of the ministry. What about your finances? Do they prioritize the kingdom of God? Are you, are you bought into what God's doing in this world? Is the word of God a reality in your life? What about your purity? First Corinthians six verse 18 tells the believer to flee fornication. Well, you know, I flee fornication, but it keeps catching me. Is the word of God a reality in your life? It is, the word of God is a reality in this pulpit, in your shoes, in the car that you drove here. It continues to be upheld by the word of his power. It's by Jesus that your automobile keeps its consistency. What about our lives? Do our lives reflect the light of God's word? See, the picture that we're seeing here in verses two through three, I don't want you to miss this. Um, You know, Genesis chapter one, verse two. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Well, that came first. There's darkness, how do we deal with the darkness? Well, the spirit of God has to move. And then what comes next? And God said, and then there's light. So that's the pattern that we're seeing here. The spirit moves, the word of God comes, and that brings God's light. 
That's your next set of blanks in your note. Psalms 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. So when the Spirit of God moves, that always leads us to the Word of God where we receive the light of God. Don't lose that principle. You're gonna see it over and over again as you study your Bible. The Word of God comes, the light shines. So here's how it worked in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, you were sitting in the dark. Right, the God of this world had us stupid in darkness, okay? 2 Corinthians four verse three says, if the gospel, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, some people you're trying to share the gospel with them and you realize all of a sudden, I'm not talking to this person. I'm wasting my time, I'm talking at them. I'm speaking truth, but they can't see it. So you're giving the gospel, but it's like right over their head. They can't understand a word of it. They're like, I don't know why I understand. I I can't understand it. In the early days of starting MBT, it just started as a Sunday night Bible study. And we had a gal, her name was, she said, she's Mama Chris, that's her name. She She calls herself Mama Chris. And she started coming to the Bible studies and and um, or the, that Sunday evening outreach service that we were doing, and, and uh, she came up to me after a message one time, and she said, you know, pastor, she says, I can't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you're talking, but I don't actually understand any of this. Uh, you, you know, you're not making one bit of sense to me. Instead of being offended, <laughs> I, I said, well, that's okay. Um, she says, you know, it's the same thing's true when I read my Bible. I read my Bible and I don't understand a single word. So a little bit about Mama Chris. Mama Chris was super excited that we were here. Uh, she just thought it was such a good thing for the neighborhood. You guys are trying to do so much good and, and, and she let us know in no uncertain terms that if we needed drugs or hookers, she could hook us up. She wanted to do her part in being a blessing uh, with, the, with the church plant. We're like, nah, nobody here is here for that, Mama Chris. Uh, that, that, nope, that's not, that's not how it's gonna go down. And so she's like, I read my Bible and I don't understand, I can't, I, I, it's just words on a page. What's her problem? The God of this world has blinded her mind. She couldn't see the truth to save her life. So what has to happen? She has to have her eyes opened. So, I mean, take this for whatever it's worth. I'll just tell you what I experienced. I said to her, I said, look, I explained to her what I just told you. I said, there's a, there's, a, there's a dark force in this world that doesn't want people to see the truth of God's word. And so you can't see it, you can't understand it. Uh, it keeps us in darkness. I said, but here's, Chris, if, if you'll do this, I'm telling you, it'll work. I want you to come every Sunday. I want you to, every day, I, gave, I handed her a Gospel of John. It was just the Gospel of John. I said, you read this every day. She says, I don't understand it. I said, it doesn't matter. Read it every day. And what's gonna happen that's different now is I'm gonna start praying for you. And I'm gonna ask the people here, we're gonna all join together and we're gonna pray for you that God would open your eyes so that you can see the light of God's word. And what will happen is, it'll either be at home or it'll be here. All of a sudden, your eyes will be open, it will make sense, and you're gonna see the truth. You're gonna see it as clear as day. And somebody shoved me. Okay, the problem was, is this is before the remodel downstairs. It's just this big open room, this size, downstairs. And I'm right back there, kind of toward the back, okay? And the, right, right, right back over there, downstairs. It's just me and Mama Chris talking. I look around to see who shoved me. Nobody's there. Hair goes up on the back of my neck. And I thought, man, that devil, he is, okay. So I just, mm-mm. Mama Chris, can I get this commitment from you? that you will read this book every day, you got a commitment from me, I'm gonna pray for you, we're gonna pray for God to open your eyes. Oh yeah, sure, this is the last time I ever saw her. Uh, I think we heard she moved to Oklahoma, is what, I, Satan's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> the God of this world blinds the minds of those that believe not, they can't see God's truth. So what has to happen? Well, the spirit has to move. That's what has to happen. This is why we fast and we pray regularly for the lost, and what are we doing? We're fasting, we're praying for those that in our lives that don't know Christ, and we're saying to the Lord, God, please, we can't save them, only you can. But it, you choose to work through us. You choose to use us to preach the gospel so that they can see and believe on it. 
Well, how can we do that if we don't have an open door? So God, would you bind Satan from their life? Would you open their eyes, God? Would you pour out your spirit on them in conviction and understanding of the gospel? Lord, we wanna give them your truth, but you have to open the door. And then Lord, please, would you anoint us with your spirit so we can say what we need to say the way it needs to be said. We wanna preach your gospel. We wanna preach the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time we do that, we have an influx of people coming to Christ. Why, because God's bringing them out of darkness and into light. The spirit first has to move. Look at 2 Peter chapter one, verses 19 through 21. You see the same thing. We have the word of God. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. So the word is shining, we need to see it. Until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your, in, your, in, in your hearts. Until Christ returns for us, we have to walk in the light of his word. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but the holy men of God, right? But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you see the chronology there? The Holy Ghost had to move holy men of old, holy men of God, and then they spake the word of God and then the light shines. Do you see that? The spirit moves, the word comes, the light shines. That's how we got saved. The Holy Spirit opened our hearts and minds to receive the word of God and now we're able to see the gospel. The Spirit convicted us of the truth of God's word. The light shone and we received it. The Spirit moves, the word comes, and the light shines. You see the same progression, the same example with the incarnation of Christ, that's your next blank. He is the living word, remember John chapter one, we saw this last week, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, Jesus, was God. So how did the word come and the light shine? You remember in John one, in him was life and the life was the light of men, okay? Well how did that happen? Well the spirit had to move. The spirit brooded in Luke chapter one verse 35, here's how the angel explained it to Mary. He said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So the Spirit has to move, right? The Spirit broods. Now God, the Son of God is born of a virgin. Now the Word is with man, the, in him is life and this life is the light of men. John chapter one, verse nine, calls him the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus himself said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide or live in darkness. The spirit moves, the word of God comes, and the light shines. Everybody's with me on that? Well, that's what we're seeing in Genesis chapter one. There's darkness on the face of the, on the, face of the deep, but that's okay, the spirit of God is moving. And God said, the word of God comes, let there be light. And there was light. So what was true of a world lost in darkness should be true in this dark world today. Aren't there so many people who are abiding in darkness? Oh, that the word of God would come. <laughs> right, so we need to move the spirit, don't we? We need the spirit to move, to open doors so that we can bring the gospel and people will actually see it. Romans chapter one, verse 16, calls the gospel the power of God into salvation. There's no way to get people right with God outside of it, so we need God to do what only God can do and open up hearts and minds and open up doors for us to preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. How many know that's the only way to revival? We need a move of God. Well, God's people have to humble themselves and pray. Second phrase, he says, let there be light, and there was light. Now notice, this is not the light of the sun, that's your next blank. The sun doesn't come until verse 16, I think that's day four. So the light's shining, but there's no ball of fire in the middle of the, the solar system. Psalm 74, verse 16 says, the day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. So the light and the sun are actually, there's. Those can be two different things. The sun gives light, but the light comes before the sun. By the way, of all ancient literature, 
and you look at any of the creation myths that are out there, only the biblical text shows that the light came before the sun. Uh, no other creation, quote unquote creation myth, tells it this way. And by the way, that's proof that Noah, or that Moses rather, did not copy the creation myths to give us the book of Genesis. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't tell the story the way they told the story. Uh, they told a, co- a corrupted copy of the truth. So this is proof that Moses didn't get the Genesis account from the surrounding pagan nations. But now I want you to get this down in your notes. This light that we're seeing is in contrast to the darkness that exists on the face of the deep in verse two. Okay, the darkness is there, but now the light is there to expel it. There's no sun, that shows up on day four. Why is there light? Okay, now we're getting down to it. This is where we gotta get, I mean, now we get to the nitty gritty, as they say. Where's the light coming from? God is what? He's light, God is light. I mean, consider what will be lighting the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 22, verse five, you see this city, this massive city. When Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, okay, the place that God's preparing for us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God speaks in understated tones. Okay, this place that he's going to prepare for us is the size of three quarters of North America cubed, right? It's a square, it's a city, four square. The height, the the, the depth, the width, the height, the depth, the width, it's massive. The street of it is pure gold, it's translucent. The The way that God built this city is so that one light can shine through the whole thing and light the entire massive structure. I go and prepare a place for you. The greatest place that will ever exist in the cosmos. Okay, (laughs) I go and prepare a place for you. Listen to how it's lit up, Revelation 22 verse five. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle. You're in my Father's house are many mansions. Okay, I go and prepare a place for you. There will be no light switch in your room. Okay, in that mansion that you're living in, there will be no light switches. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. Hello, somebody, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. So again, we saw this last week. Genesis chapter one, verse two, records Satan's pride, his rebellion, God's response to the disaster and the darkness that came from Satan's fall. We just saw it again in 2 Peter chapter three. Right, you can compare again that beginning chart that we give you in your notes. So what comes next? And God saw the light that it was good. This is point number three. God, when the light shines, he always gives his approval. Approval is your blank. God gives his approval upon the light. This is very consistent. Again, think about the carnation. The spirit of God moves. It overshadows the Virgin Mary. The word of God comes, right? Our hands handled. Right, we have seen, we've received the Lord Jesus Christ. God is now with men, the word of God has come. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is the first word? Following the incarnation, what's the first word of the Father about the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and that's Luke 3.22. So God always gives his commendation, his approval, on the light. Okay, so there's creation. Now let's look at the contrast. Let there be light, and it's good. God saw the light that it was good. Okay, so number four, let's look at the fourth phrase. And God divided the light from the darkness. And this is consistent in your Bible. As you study your Bible, God always divides the light from the dark. I'll give you several cross-references, but let me give you a couple key ones. In 2 Corinthians chapter six and verse 14, You as a believer, your life in the light should be divided from a life in the dark. This is the Lord's doing. 2 Corinthians 6.14 commands us, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So what are we talking about here? God tells you, don't be bonded to an unbeliever. Don't don't, Don't bind your life you don't, don't go through life with an unbeliever. You need, um, you, you know, you need hacks for theological terms. 
So, like for example, justification. What does justification mean? Well, here's the spiritual hack for justification. Justification means God made it in Christ, right? Whenever I come to Jesus and get saved, God makes it, he justifies me. He makes it just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. It's a little, you know, hack for remembering what the term means. Well, here, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, what's fellowship? Well, here's the hack for fellowship. It's two fellows in a ship. That's what fellowship means. Two people who are working together, going somewhere together, that's a fellowship. We have a fellowship in the gospel, don't we? We're all fellows in a ship, moving forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. That's our fellowship. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion, what life hath light with darkness? Ephesians 5.11 says it the same, it's, it's the same thing. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So why do we not join our life to a dark way of living, to those who are living in darkness? Why do we do that? Why are we told to reprove that? Reprove it, don't have fellowship with it. Why? Well, because there's a danger of falling into black light. Check out Matthew chapter six and verse 23. When Lucifer rebelled against God, he says, I'll be like the most high. Okay, what happened to him? What happened to the light bearer? His name is Lucifer, light bearer. What happened that Lucifer becomes Satan? Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, what if pride demands that self is the ultimate treasure, right? My, uh, me, 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 myself, and I. That's the prize. That's the treasure versus my relationship, my right relationship with God. When that happens, watch out. And Jesus describes what happened to Satan in verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. You know, if you're eyes, if what you're looking for in life, if, if that's fixed on Jesus, your life's gonna be full of his light. You know, if I don't open my eyes when I get up in the morning, the light can't get in and I'm walking in darkness. But if I will let the light in, that will guide my way. Here's Lucifer, I don't, I'm not fixed on seeing and following Jesus, I'm fixed on it's, it's turned inward, isn't it? I'm fixed on seeing and following myself. So he's not turning his eye on Jesus. He's not looking full on his wonderful face. And so his life is not full of Christ's glory and grace. Here's where he is, verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And you thought your black light was so cool. And what you actually had was an incredible picture of a demonic way of living. And it made your teeth and your t-shirt look funky, but really, it's, it's just an illustration of, of uh, what's the, the upside down? Uh, the Netflix nerds, uh, what was that show? Stranger Things, the Stranger Things nerds know what I'm talking about, yeah. It's the upside down. So now, what's happening here, right? He divides the light from the dark. There's a clear separation from Satan. That's what's happening here. So look at the next phrase. And God called the light day, capital D. The noun is given a formal name. And the darkness he called night, capital N. The noun is given a formal name, as a formal name. So the capital letters here in the giving of the names, this is called personification. They represent personality. And if you apply the principle of Romans chapter 1, verse 20, to what's happening here, Romans 1.20 says, the invisible things of God, of him from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So if we've already seen from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the light, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Watch this now, verse five says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What's happening? The darkness is separated from the light. We saw last week that that word comprehend means to seize, to lay hold of. If you comprehend math, that's because you've made those principles your own, haven't you? 
I understand math, I can do math, I am one with math. Two plus two, praise the Lord, is four. I own that, that's mine. And that's with me for the rest of my life. Okay, when you don't, the darkness comprehended it not. It's not seizing hold of the light. No, it's retreated from the light. Why? Because God has separated darkness from light, night from day. The light is shining in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. So there you have Genesis chapter one, verse two. You, you see in, it, what is it, Genesis uh, 1 verse 5, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. There's a separation that cannot be joined, right? That's Genesis 1-2. Darkness is on the face of the deep. God's light is shining and so he separates the two. If his life is the light of men, then that tells you something about how physical creation is gonna work but also spiritual. So a great illustration here would be this, the sun, okay? the physical sun in the center of our solar system, our life is dependent upon it. How long do you think we could live if God flipped the switch off on the sun and there's no sun shining in the middle of our solar system? How long would we last? Nerds have done the math on that. I mean, scientists have done the math on that. It's not very long. We would not survive. I mean, in no time, we would be popsicles is what would happen. Life cannot exist without the light of the sun. Well, the same thing's true of the son of righteousness in Malachi chapter four. The same thing's true of the son of God. In him is life and that life is the light of men. You can't survive without that light. You can't go into eternity with God without the light of Christ. You can't live without it. But the, script, the scriptures clearly describe Satan and his host as darkness. There's no getting around that. Did I give you a whole bunch of cross references in your notes? following that statement. You can study that out, but let's look at two very briefly. Colossians chapter one, verses 12 and 13. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us, believers in Jesus Christ. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Acts 26, 18. What's the prayer? How do we get people into the kingdom of God? What's the prayer? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What God did in my life, I was in darkness but God translated me into light. I was in Satan's kingdom, now I'm in Christ's kingdom. How did that happen? How did darkness cover the face of the deep? Lucifer, the shining one, became darkness. That's what happened. So it's critical that we walk in the light. The light bearer, he got his eyes off Christ and on himself. His eye is evil, and now he is full. The light that's in him is a dark light. How great is the darkness of the light that he has. So we gotta walk in the light. First John chapter one, verse six says it this way. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie. You know the Bible doesn't care about your feelings. Just lays it out there, doesn't it? We say, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my friend, he's my buddy, he's my savior. I prayed a prayer one time, I know I'm going to heaven. But I'm gonna live like hell, so help me God. I'm not, I'm not gonna waste my time living for Jesus. I'm gonna, if it seems right to me, if it feels good, that's what I'm gonna do. God says, well you're actually not walking in Christ, you're not walking in the light, you're actually a liar, and you're not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sins, from all sin. Okay, so I can say I'm a Christian, but if what's coming out of my life is darkness, guess what? I'm not actually a Christian. How do I know what an apple tree is? How do I know? Well, it is a tree that produces apples and I can eat them and they're actually apples. If the tree produces crab apples, okay, it's not an apple tree. I'm not gonna make pies out of that fruit. Uh, but apples, I mean an apple tree, you can make a good pie out of an apple tree. I mean a really good pie and with a side of ice cream, it is heaven on earth. 
It's one of the greatest flavor sensations you'll ever experience. Okay, so if I say I'm a Christian, but what's coming out of my life is hell, I'm not walking in the light of Christ, am I? You can't judge me. I'm, I don't know, I can't judge your heart, but I can absolutely see fruit, and no matter what you say, it doesn't change what is apparent. So John's like, you lie. You know a tree, right, by its fruit. We're gonna see this principle as we walk through Genesis chapter one. Everything reproduces after its kind. Two cats get together, they don't produce a really godly dog. They just produce a litter of demonic cats. That's just how it works. Everything reproduces after its kind and you cannot get past that. If Christ is in you, that's what's gonna come out of you. If darkness is what's coming out of you, you're in the wrong kingdom. I'm walking in the light, except it's a dark light. And how great is that darkness? Okay, last phrase, we'll wrap up. And the evening and the morning were the first days. We're talking about the chronology. The Hebrew day starts at 6 p.m. That's why it says the evening and the morning were the first day. Well, why does the Bible talk like that? Well, because it's, it, it's a picture. Because that's how salvation works. Just like salvation, God came into your life to dispel the darkness that we were in with his light, right? Everybody starts in darkness and then the light comes. Well, so the evening and the morning make the first day. So there's a great, just that principle right there. You can take that and make a tail kicking Bible study. Just take that phrase, in the evening and the morning were the first day and talk about how God delivered you out of darkness into light and in your next Bible study, you will kick some tail in Jesus' name, man. That'll be a great, great study. How do we have the evening and the morning without the sun? That happens on the, first, on the fourth day. It's the first day and it's sunset, sunrise. The evening and the morning were the first day. How's that happen? Well, because orbit and rotation of the earth are not determined, right? That's not what determines time. God does. God determines time. This also means that we're talking about literal days, not ages, right? And this is another example of the circular reasoning of those who say gap theory was invented to reconcile science and scripture. Well, we're not talking about that kind of gap theory, okay? This is, this is not, no. We're right there with the Christian Research Institute with uh, Ken Ham and, and, and all those guys, okay? Six literal days of creation. There's no space or room for theistic evolution. The gap that we're talking about is where do we place Satan's fall? And we're submitting what will make sense of all your cross-references is if you put Satan's rebellion between Genesis 1, verse 1, and verse 2. From verse 2, we can count the morning and the evening as the first day, and that first day took place approximately 6,000 years ago, according to biblical history. Uh, but we're dealing with a literal six-day creation. Exodus 20, verse 11 says, for in six days, not six ages or six, six epochs of time, no, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. So here's the conclusion. And I just ask that nobody be up. I mean, Rosie's gonna lead us in worship. Rosie, you can move. Uh, and if you're about to wet your pants, go to the bathroom, that's fine. But otherwise, okay, I'd ask that all of us just really think about what we heard this morning. Satan's rebellion against God was so bad, it led to a complete destruction of creation. Read Jeremiah chapter four, it was horrible. Because God is dealing with Lucifer's sin, his rebellion. And we just saw 2 Peter chapter three and verse nine. There's a judgment coming that makes that look like a picnic. It will be worse. So the question on the floor today is, are we walking in the light or are we walking in darkness? Are we submitted to Christ or are we following in Satan's rebellion? Now God is very clear on this. The wages of sin is death and death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. There is no getting around that. But God is not, 1 Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter two, God is not willing that any perish. His will is that all would be saved. You say, well, if he's not willing, why would he? Well, God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. 
And any who want to follow him there, God gives us free will. You can go spend eternity in hell for, I mean, you, you can go do that if you want to, right? If that's the desire of your life to be in rebellion against God, God will let you do that. But he proved he loved you at Calvary. There is literally nothing more that God could do than give his life for you. So I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves right now. And if you'll do it, I mean, if you'll just really do it and just really look at your life, bow your head, close your eyes. Do you see the light of Christ? Are you walking in the light of Christ? Are you walking in darkness? Which is it? Well, you don't understand, I'm going through a rough time right now. You're parroting a lie from the pit of hell for why you don't have to submit your life to Christ. He's worthy, God is worth being right with. And there's gonna be so many people that will spend trillions upon trillions of years, they'll spend forever in a lake of fire separate from God when God did everything he could possibly do to keep you out. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, it lays out that we're children of Christ, we're children of the light, we're children of the day. We're not of the night, we're not of darkness, so we shouldn't live like it. God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to salvation, so we ought to live the life that he's called us to. And so there's two groups on the floor this morning. Some who have never come to the place where they've believed on Christ. Is there anybody like that here? You know, Pastor, that you may have just described me. Maybe you prayed a prayer, but you never, in repentance of sin, cried out for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And the proof of that is, is you've not walked in the light of Christ. You've been walking in darkness the whole time. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know that I'm in the light. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand? I wanna see who you are and I wanna pray for you this morning. Is there anybody like that? I don't know that I'm in Christ. I don't know that God's my Father. I don't know that heaven is waiting for me in eternity. Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need to be saved. Can I see your hand? Is there any that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I know I'm saved. But I keep walking in darkness. I know, I know for a fact I'm saved. I, I know that, that I, I saw my sin for what it was and I, in repentance I cried out for mercy and forgiveness and I was walking in the light but then between the world, my flesh, and the devil, I, I can tell I'm, I'm, I'm like those that sleep in the night, those that are drunken in the night. I'm not living like I'm of the day, like I'm a child of light. Pastor, would you pray for me because today really should be a day of repentance for me. I need to get back in the word. I need to start walking in its light. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to quit walking in darkness and I need to submit. I, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I need to submit to his word. Uh, I need to join this church or I need to get discipled or I need to be baptized. Pastor, would you pray for me? I wanna follow Christ. Is there anybody like that? Can I see your hand? Yeah, okay, anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. Okay. Okay. Is there anybody else? Pastor, please. Today, there needs to be a change in my life. Would you pray for me? And if I see your hand, I'll be be pointing you out to the Lord in my heart. (laughs) I'm gonna pray and then you've got You've got to not, this is your part in the service. You, your, your response is really what we're looking for. Father, you see those that did raise their hand and you see those that didn't. More importantly, you see every heart. You see us exactly for who we are and where we're at in our relationship with you. And, and Lord, for any that do not know that they're saved, that Christ is their Lord and Savior, would you just please, would you bind Satan and would you help them to be done with the excuses and the reasons for why not now or today uh, is not a good time. Lord, help today to be the day of salvation. So God, we ask that Satan would be bound and that God, you'd pour out your spirit and conviction and, and just the truth, your light, the light of your truth, that it would shine. And then for my brothers and sisters that raised their hand and said, I, I got to 
I got to stop walking in darkness and I need to be walking in light. Would you help them to get accountable to do just that today? Uh, Lord, help, help some brothers and sisters, Lord, to rededicate their lives to you and, and get accountable and, and just move forward and endeavor with us to follow you according to your word. And I ask this for your glory and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.